Hello, and welcome to episode 136 of the Casual Tryhard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And today we're trying to get your mentals right. Your mentals. Your mentals. All about the mental game of magic. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, you know, sequencing your plays and kind of dealing with mistakes and whatnot Mm -hmm. and all that jazz. So... If you have some examples of, of some mental game stuff or things you want us to talk about in the future, you can tweet at us at Casual Tripod. Yeah, you can also hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG, or you can email us show at Casual Like Brian said, you know, let us know if there's anything in particular that you want us to cover that we haven't talked about yet, or if you want to tell us about. That one game you had where you bluffed your opponent into oblivion. Um, this is the episode about that kind of stuff. So share your stories. Um, also, we have a TCG player affiliate link, um, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. If you follow that link, anything you purchase, will get a percentage of to help keep the show going. It really helps us out. You're going to buy your cards anyway, so you might as well buy them there, save a couple bucks, and help support the show. If you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash casual tryhard MTG. Throw a couple bucks in the pot, help keep the show going, get access to our pre-show, check out our show notes. Um, I also have the next round of Patreon givebacks I'm looking at right now. I just got them together yesterday, so they should be going out this week. Thanks to all our patrons. But yeah, throw a couple bucks in the pot, help the show out, help keep us going. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. Casual Tryhard MTG on YouTube. Head on over there. Uh, subscribe. Check some videos out. Leave a thumbs up or two. Um, normally, the channel is pretty active around set release time. And then we really, for whatever reason, don't do a whole lot other than then. Um, it's a lot of so work, we, man. It's a lot oh, of it, work. Is, it, it is a lot of work. Um, but make sure you check out our YouTube channel. I'll be doing some box openings for Midnight Hunt. Most likely, uh, Brian usually records a couple uh, draft videos. And by a couple, uh, I mean like every one he does. <laughs> hey, I, I did not do it for uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. I played mostly on my iPad. Yeah, I also didn't baby. do a box. Yeah, I also didn't do a box opening for Adventure Realms because I'm uh, boycotting that set. <laughs> it's the best-selling magic set of all time. According to Morrow. Yeah. Sure. Just like every set before it was, right? Yeah. Your job is really easy if there's constant growth. That's right. Uh, we also have a Discord channel. There's a link in the description. There's a link on all our social media. Head on over there. That's also a good place to ask us questions or tell us your stories. I know I was talking over the weekend with some people over there about some different elves. deck ideas. Elves, yeah. We were talking about elves. So hop on over to Discord. Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. Tell us how awesome we are. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, a lot of stuff to go over. And so mm-hmm. we're going to start with the mental game stuff. Yeah. Now, full disclaimer, there is a an episode of Constructed Resources. Okay. LSV second podcast um, where they go over the same thing as well. So okay. you, you, we, you can compare us to LSV and Andrew Beckstrom if you are so inclined. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever listened to that episode. I should check it out. 
No, no, it it came out like last week or the week before. It was oh, all okay. the buzz on Twitter. All oh. these pros were like, "Oh, this is the best podcast I've ever listened to." Blah blah blah. So, wow. Yeah. I maybe should have listened to it before writing this episode. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. But we're gonna get into the mental game stuff, and the first thing is variance and kind of the downfall of many many magic players yes the source of all the tilt yes so magic is about making the right play based on the information that you have yeah not that it works out the way that you want it to but like sometimes making the correct play doesn't work there's and you're like this part of the game is more about like maximizing your chances to have done the right thing and minimizing your chances to have done the wrong thing. Yeah. And you have to be able to step back and go like, all right, based on what I knew that was the right play for X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. even when it goes poorly. Right. Right. And sometimes you have to look back and go like, oh, maybe I should have played around the wrath and I shouldn't have put my fourth creature on the board. Yeah. All right. I was in a good enough position. I could have held that in case there was a wrath. But a lot. Right. But it is, hey, I made this decision and oh, they were empty handed and they like drew the absolute best card. Mm-hmm. OK. Well, I guess those things happen. Like yeah. I couldn't have done anything different or better than uh what i did right right so it's kind of making your choice making your choice having good reasons for making it and then being okay with the fact that sometimes they peel the best card they put a possible peeled off the top of your deck yeah there's no i know no go ahead there's a phrase called like max punished yeah where like when you make like the right play and then the worst possible thing happens Right. Or you make like an ever so slightly wrong play, like slightly suboptimal and your opponent Mm -hmm. is just like, oh, here is the absolute worst thing that could have happened to you. And I'm going to do it to you now. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I made a small mistake and I was maximally punished. I was max punished for because, you know, they had their one of that I didn't play around. Yeah. Or, you know. Or whatever, like, random thing that you're just like, oh. Yeah, or a spicy meatball that, like, the, the list normally doesn't run. So I'll so today, I was playing Mono White to get some sweet, sweet, um, uh, whatever, done. Uh, daily Quest done, right? Yeah. Mono White and Historic, which is just some Mono White deck that I have from a standard, like, three standards ago. Right? <laughs> and I'm playing, and my opponent's Mono Black. And they play Gifted Aetherborn. Okay. And then they play another Gifted Aetherborn. Mm-hmm. And, like, I dump my hand. And then they play an extinction event. Oh. And I'm like, oh. And I only had one even, and everything was an odd. Awesome. So they just annihilated me, and I was like, huh. I can't play around that. Yeah. Right. Mono black double two three life linker <laughs> sweeper is like, oh, okay, like these things happen. You just have to like move on. Right. Yeah. It's like I couldn't have ever known that 
this mono black aggressive deck also had sweepers. Yeah. Couldn't know. And these things happen, and you just have to kind of go like, okay. Yeah. I guess that's the thing I have to worry about now. Um, I know that like a lot of our listeners aren't super experienced in the game or like aren't quite as enfranchised as we are. So like you guys might not have seen what I'm about to talk about, but a lot of times like on older coverage, um, like GP coverage or star city games coverage or whatever, when they're talking to like a player after a match, um, they'll be like a pivotal play in that game. And regardless of which way it ended up working out, like this is the kind of thing we're talking about. A lot of times you'll hear, you know, whoever the player was say, you know, I made this play knowing that, you know, there was a 90% odd that it was going to work correctly. There's one card in the list that, you know, punishes this play. He happened to have that play. And a lot of times they'll straight up say, even though I lost the game because of, you know, whatever happened, it was the correct play to make. And that's the exact thing that we're talking about here is, you know, knowing like you're, you have to play your percentages, I guess yeah. is the best way to say it. Right. Like, um, ma- like you said, magic is a, a game where ideally you want to like accumulate small edges and like, if this play is uh, is fifty two percent, the uh, a fifty two percent gives you a fifty two percent chance to win, and another play gives you a fifty three percent chance to win. You should make the play that gives you a fifty three percent chance to win. Right, right. You just play, and you hope that all those together add up to give you a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully you make you make enough of the one percent gains that it adds up to a win. The uh, one of the best ways that I've found to kind of maximize these decisions, um, kind of like in concert with learning a format in particularly, is to talk to my opponent after a game. Um, a lot of times I played decks with like hand disruption, so I'll, I'll have some more information about like what I was working with when I was making my decisions. Um, and those are a great way to like learn the format and ask questions and basically learn like what makes a format tick. So a lot of times after a game, you know, I'll try and rewind a board state and then ask my opponent, you know, was when I took this card out of your hand, was that correct the, the correct decision or was this card more important? Or just kind of walk them through like my thought process. And then ask them, you know, either what their opinion is or if they think I was correct or incorrect or, you know, whatever. And you can really learn a lot about not just the format, but like the game in general by kind of working through those decisions with somebody else. Obviously, you don't want to do this like in between games, like in a round, but like after the round is over, you can, you can really get a lot of good information from your opponents if you don't mind having a ch- having a chat afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to people. We had a, oh gosh, what was her name? We had someone who played limited a lot like two years ago, and whenever mm-hmm. we would play, like, I would always like I knew for a fact that I could always attack and trade with her creatures. Mm-hmm. She always blocked and traded. Yeah. So like, if I had a deck that I felt was good in the long game. 
I knew I could always keep the board clear because mm-hmm. I could just attack and she would block and attack and she would block and she would always trade. So we're trading one for one, but it's like, I know my cards at the end of the game are going to be better than yours. And I just need to get there. Right. Right. And so like, you know, I told her, I said, you know, after game, I said, you know, I said, you always block and trade. I'm like, you never think like, I always know you're going to do this. You never don't. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Hey, like, so this is, I'm playing this way against you and I wouldn't otherwise because I know how you play. So maybe think about like, hey, is my deck more aggressive? Like, do I care about my life total here? Yeah. Or should I save my creature so maybe I can double block something later on mm-hmm. as opposed to just always trading? So just things like that where like you take a second and you like ask someone or, you know, take the time to be like, hey, do you mind like, because I was like, do you mind like, I have an observation and she was someone who always wanted like feedback. And I was like, you always do this. Here's maybe why you shouldn't. Like, I yeah. understand the first principles why you're doing it. You have a thing. You can use it. You can trade it off. But at the same time, here's maybe think about why you should do something different. Yeah. And like, you know, she had never thought about like, oh, you're right. Like, I always do trade off my creatures. Like, if I had a combat trick, I was I knew it was 100% a removal spell. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're going to block every time. So now I can play my trick and like, oh, I 100% get the trade that I wanted. Right. Or I get to, you know, I get to eat your creature or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just like taking the time and like she had never thought about it before. Yeah. So like there's probably something that I do that I'd never thought about before until someone says something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this next one, this next one is like the, the major frustration with magic. <laughs> which yeah, is in like people tend to blame everything on it. Yeah. Where I think a lot of times it's just the uh you only remember like when it real like when it affects you negatively and you don't remember when you top deck perfectly. Yeah. And that is sometimes you draw too many lands or sometimes you draw too many spells. Right? Yep. And we have done here there's not too much you can do. And I I feel like, right, there is there is a skill ceiling to this in that, right, there are times that, like, the best players get horrifically flooded and there's nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. But there are also times that, like, you watch a game from someone who's, like, a pro or, like, clearly better than you, and you're like, oh, I would have had no play in that game but yeah. they got two extra turns out of it that I wouldn't have got. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, that goes back to the, like playing the percentages, right. Mm-hmm. They were able to, to eke a little bit more out of the game than I would have been able to eke. Right. But there are still times where you keep like, you know, you're playing limited and you keep your two land hand on the draw. Yeah. And, and you never see your third land. Yeah. And you just draw six straight three drops. Yeah. And you're just like, nice. Thanks, Magic. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like I had I've had a game the other day where I was playing and I was just like, I drew I had three spells on my opening hand. It's turn ten. I have played three spells this entire game. <laughs> you just I've, drew all lands. All lands. And it's just like we're still playing, so I'm doing something right. But at right. the same time, it's like yeah, I didn't really participate in this game. Yeah. And I think that 
that is something that happens a lot in limited, right? Mm-hmm. If like if you go back and watch my videos from like Strixhaven and Keldheim, right? There are a I think if you went through and watched like the number like the amount of games I win because my opponent just doesn't play ma- magic. Yeah. And the number of games I lose because my opponent doesn't play magic. <laughs> or or no, sorry, the games I lose that I don't play magic, right? Like, yeah. There's probably 30 to maybe 40% of every limited game mm-hmm. ends up almost being like someone does not function. Right. Right. Well, I, either- I mean, that's kind of the, the downside of limited though, is that sometimes like a deck just doesn't come together. Well, not even come together, right? The, you draw, you have two lands, you don't hit your third. So you just don't yeah. play a game. Or well, that's kind of what I mean though, is like in limited, you get punished a lot more severely for like not having your curve. Yeah. But like you just end up in, you just lose games to that and yeah. you just have to go. These things happen. And like, yeah. I struggle with that sometimes just being like, Oh, I would have like, it's like, Oh, I would have won this game if like done whatever, like what I'm playing by Gavin. I'm like, baby, if we would have just drawn a red source, we win this game. <laughs> but no. Right? Or the times you like at the end of the game you like count you look on your opponent's side of the battlefield and you're like five lands and an empty hand. And you look at your side of the battlefield and you're like ten lands. Hmm, who won this game? Right. I don't know. Let me <laughs> oh, 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 not me. Cool. Right. So there like there's definitely that. And that is the part of the game that people dislike. Like you said, they dislike it when it hurts them. Yeah. And they don't think about it when it benefits them. It's a lot harder to see when it benefits you. Yeah. Right. When you when you like win a game and your opponent played like two spells and you're like, yeah, my deck's awesome. And it's like, well, no. They were a red green deck and they had three red red cards in their hand and they had six forests and a mountain. Yeah. Right. Like maybe your deck's fine, but they just didn't get to play. Right. Yeah. So like, like you also don't have perfect information. So you don't you don't see that, you know, they had three red cards in their hand and, you know, so you might not see how bad their, you know, deck was screwing them. Yeah. But like you. So. Right. People are always like when like after they get like mana screwed or they flood out, that's when you get the like, oh man, the mana system's really messed up. We're like, yeah. why can't it be like this or that? And blah blah blah. We gotta fix this, right? And then, but when they won, when they won that game because their opponent got mana screwed or flooded, they're not like, oh man, I feel bad for them. We need to change the mana system around. Right. They're just like, got it two zero, and then they just like move on. Get good scrub. Yeah, like draw draw better, and it's like, uh, but yeah. but I I, I can't. Right. So, well, one more thing before we move on is you kind of can draw better. Um, This was a mistake that I made a lot when like back when I was a kid and I played. And also when I first got back into the game, it took me a while to realize this. But you do have some amount of agency over this issue. And that comes from shuffling. Now. I'm not saying you need to mana weave or stack your deck or anything. You definitely should not do that. 
but you need to make sure your deck is random. Like all of the deck building advice and numbers, or if you go to, you know, Frank Karsten's articles on Channel Fireball and look at, you know, how to properly build a mana base or how many hits you need for collected company or, you know, whatever mathematical statistic you need in building your deck, those are all built off of having a randomized deck when you start the game. Yeah. So you need to make sure your deck is random. I know like when I got back into the game, I really had a tough time like driving it into my skull that I really needed to shuffle. You know, I'd shuffle a couple times and present my deck and my deck wasn't random. Not that I knew where cards are in it, but it wasn't randomized. And like when you can realize that, that, you know, your deck needs to be random in order for it to properly function, it kind of minimizes how much of this issue you have. See, I thought you were going to say that you can, you know, fix this issue by building your decks correctly. Well, I mean, that's part of it also, but... Yeah, but I mean, going back to, like, the limited example, right? I think we've all been in, like, you know, in a Friday Night Magic situation where you're talking to someone and they got mana screwed for like their second game, right? Yeah. Two, two out of their three games, they got mana screwed. And then you or find man- out there's 16 lands, 42 cards. Yeah. Or, or they flood out, they flood out two games, right? Yeah. So they cut a land and then the next game they flood out again, then they cut a land and right. the next game they're mana screwed. They don't understand why. Right. And it's like, well, cause you went down to, <laughs> 15 lands and you put two five drops in your deck to make up for the two lands you cut yeah like that, that's why your mana screwed not right not any like you know so the problem with like with variants is you know i think was it andrew ellenbogen is like magic players have to make decisions based on never having enough information right so that's you, the truth yeah so you play you're at fnm you're two rounds in, you've played four games, and you've been flooded all four games, right? Yeah. If you have 17 lands in your deck, in your limited deck, it's not that you have too many lands in your deck. It's that mm-hmm. you got unlucky. Right. Right? Now, the flip side of that is you flooded out four straight games, but you had 20 lands in your deck. Yeah. You didn't get unlucky. You built your deck yeah. incorrectly. Yeah. Right. So, so like, while variance, well, there is variance. You also have to be able to take a look back and go like, what could I have done differently? And like, a lot of times it's, did I put enough lands in my deck or did I put too many lands or not enough lands in my deck? Like, does that explain what happened? Mm -hmm. And then other times you're like, okay, no, I have 20, I'm a control deck. I have 27 lands and I missed my third land drop these things happen. So I've been playing Maze's End. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Laugh. It's fine. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Right. I've been playing a 30 land Maze's End deck. And I have on multiple occasions not hit my third land. Yeah. In a third or or like <laughs> I'll have I have three lands on my opener and I'm like tap land because it's a gate. And then right. I'm like play Arboreal Grazer, play a land, play a land, never draw my fourth land, right? Yeah. 
be like on card like be 13 cards like on turn six and finally hit my fourth land and it's like oh i was literally 50 percent to draw a land the last five turns mm-hmm. and i did not draw a land on a 50 50 for five straight turns yeah like the math on that is very low right and it's like yeah i lost because i didn't draw my land and it's just yep. like okay like i can't realistically put more lands in my deck i have 30 right so but at the same time if i flood out i don't know i got 30 lands in my deck like i just have to i have to live with that like that's the thing that's going to happen right right but like sometimes you're just like yeah i got unlucky like so missing missing your fourth land for like five turns it's you know if it's 50 percent, it's i don't know doing the math on my head it's like one percent yeah to miss it's that not land. great odds <laughs> yeah and it's just like well i guess like it this wasn't meant to be but at the same time right if i you know flood out it's like well should i have less lands in my deck like that's on me right so you know or do you have other ways to mitigate flood Right to to mitigate the variance. So I was playing uh, black red like treasury ramp deck in uh, standard twenty twenty two, and I kept flooding out. And what I realized is most everyone is playing a ton of learn lesson cards. Yeah. Right. Because you know mascot exhibition goes in everyone's sideboard. There's no reason not to. There's no reason not to. So it was like, well, you know, I was playing, you know, dragons. And so I was like, well, I'll play Magda to get another thing to give me treasure. And I was like, well, maybe it's just better if I play iTwitch. Mm-hmm. So I never run out of cards yeah. because I can trade this off for something or sack it to a, a deadly dispute and mm-hmm. draw three cards with my deadly dispute. Basically, okay, yeah. yeah, that seems good. I should probably do that. So it's like, I've maybe built my deck incorrectly because I'm running out of cards and none of my opponents are. Yeah. Well, what are they doing different than me? Do they have six learn cards in their deck? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I should probably have some learn cards in my deck. That probably fixes my problem. Yep. Right. So just being able to be like, oh, is there a way? Like, why is no one else running out of cards? Oh, why is no one else flooding out? Oh, because they they've done this to mitigate flooding out. I should do that. Yeah. Right. So just being able to like eliminate some of your variants, which a lot of the a lot of the recent mechanics that Magic has introduced do exactly that. Like companions, companions, um, MDFCs. Right. Yeah. They're there to hit your land drop and then give you something later in the game to do. Right. Because they all cost yep. like they're either an X spell or they cost seven. Right. Right, so oh hey, I'm flooding out. I drew this thing that I counted as like a land, but I guess it's a seven mana make two four fours. Well, that's yeah. good. Yep. Or like oh, I get to bring back like three things from my graveyard late in the game because I drew this thing that like is a reanimation spell. Cool. Yeah. Right. So they've tried to eliminate variants. Learn lesson does the same thing. Right. You Cycling. can. Ne- yeah, you can never flood out. Yeah. So, yeah. So, while variance is an inescapable part of the game that sometimes you can't avoid, 
there are ways that maybe you need to like look at your deck and go like, huh, is there something I could be doing differently so that it's not just at the mercy of my top decks? Yeah. It's also important not to dwell on it. Um, I know like there's always that guy, right? Mm-hmm. The guy that always gets mana screwed and no matter what kind of like deck critique or gameplay advice anybody gives him, it's always the game's fault. The game's out to get him. His deck doesn't shuffle properly. The arena shuffler's broken. Whatever. There's always that guy. Um, don't be that guy. Like yeah. realize that variance is part of the game. Do what you can to, you know, control the things that you can control and let the things that you can't control, you know, just be and just kind of roll with the punches. Yeah. So like, um, like we said, like it might feel like, oh man, I flooded out like six games in a row. Clearly the shuffler's messed up or whatever. Right. But like six games is like basically zero in like the realm of like, what can happen in yeah. a 60 card magic deck? Oh, right? yeah. There's not enough information there for you to draw any conclusions. Right. Right. So you just have to be like, no, like I have 24, 25 lands. That's the right number of lands for this kind of deck. Well, the colors just, are appropriate. Yeah. The I've got the right ratio color. Yeah. Like this happens. Right. Like it's not that something's wrong. It's just that like you were on the bad end of variance. And again, you don't you don't think about how good you got it when you went one, two, three, four and your opponent was dead on turn four. Right. Right. Yeah. Those seem to vanish from your mind. Yes. Now your opponent's like every time they always have it. Right. Your opponent's like, man, that sucks. They they always go one, two, three, four. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. That sucks. But. You know, you just have to to realize that, you know, you're you're not looking at a big enough sample size. Like if you played a million games with your deck and, you know, 700,000 of them you flooded out, mm-hmm. then you've built your deck wrong. Right. Right. Uh, but if you play six games and you flood out all six, you may have built your deck wrong. But if your deck's right, you just got the short end of the stick for six games. Mm-hmm. Over that million game sample, it's gonna even out, and you're gonna get what your like normal distribution of lands and spells should be. Yeah, so you should be glad you got them all out right now, so you can spike that tournament next week. Yeah, that's how that works, statistically yeah. speaking. Statistically speaking, yes. <laughs> right. The other thing is mistakes happen. You they will, do. You will screw up. It will cost you a game. It happens all the time. I was playing uh, my free Keldheim draft, and all I had to do was cast my Invigorated Rampage on one creature. But I was like, oh, I'm going to split it up. And I, when I split it up, I was one damage short of winning the game. Of course. Like, I had done the math. I was like, it's good. Then I just, and I was like, well, baby, all we had to do was this, and we messed it up, man. <laughs> we he couldn't threw- even do that. Yeah, he threw something at me. I felt shame. It was fine. Right. Did he hit you with a rolled up newspaper? He should have. He should have. He should have. He doesn't know his own strength. He probably can cuss me with it. Uh, <laughs> so, but like, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to lose games, right? But you have to deal with it, right? You have to move on. 
Yeah. The worst thing to do is like make a mistake in game one and let it get you so down that you lose game two because of it. Yeah, we kind of touched on this um, a couple weeks ago now at this point, but when we were talking about tilt and like this is exactly what tilt is, is either either from a mistake that you made or from, you know, being on the wrong side of variance, your own or your opponent's. Um, you can't let that affect like your future plays. Um, like learning how to handle tilt is kind of a big deal um, it is. because it happens to everybody. Yeah. So when you make a mistake, uh, you like, don't dwell on it in that game. And then like mm-hmm. that is like the the world you live in now, right? right? You like you made a mistake. You cast your removal spell. Neg four. Neg four on their five five. Hmm. And it didn't die. Right. Well, this is you now no longer have that spell. You've got to try to win the game from this now significantly worse position than you have now than you would have had. Yeah. I think Jerry Thompson did that in like the top eight of the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like you just have to play it from there. And like if you make a mistake, you shouldn't throw good money after bad. Right. Right. So like. If you make a mistake, don't compound it by like doing another suboptimal thing. Yeah. Well, I made that mistake, so I guess that means I have to do this now. It's like, well, no, you made the mistake. Now, what is the best possible play that you can make? Don't like fall down the rabbit hole of like a mistake that leads to another mistake because you're trying right. to cover for the first one, right? Or whatever. Trying to make it not a mistake. Yeah. Like if it was a mistake, it's a mistake. Yeah. Well, oh, I meant to do that. So then you do something else that's bad. Right. To uh, try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can't fix your mistake, right? The mistake happened. Now you just have to do your best to like mitigate it mm-hmm. and to like try to win from that position. Because we've all just been like, well, probably shouldn't have done that. Oh, and yeah. Then, all the time. And then every it's day. Like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Every day. I woke like, up today. Yep, probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> oh, that's 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 harsh and dark. Uh, <laughs> today was a three cats, probably too many cats kind of day. <laughs> um, but right, you just have to like learn from your mistake. Be like, okay, not going to do that again. I mean, yeah. the classic is uh, now unplayable. Rest in peace, Tarmogwife, as a two yeah. three. Hey right? hey. Boomer Jund is coming back. I don't know if you know this or not. I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard Boomer yeah. Jund's coming back. Well, kind of, sort of. I mean, it looks very different than what it used to be, but Tarmogoyf is seeing play. Okay. So Tarmogoyf. Alongside uh, Ragavan and Dragon's Rage Channeler. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Boomer Boomer Jund with their aggressive one drops. Yep. Uh, no Liliana and Loris, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, so, but like you have a Tarmogoyf that's a 2-3 and it's got creature and sorcery in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm going to cast a lightning bolt on it to kill it. And then the Tarmogoyf doesn't die and it's a 3-4. Right. Right. We've all made that mistake and you just have to go like, well, this is a thing that happened. I just have to move on. You have to, I did that once, never done it again. Right. Yep. You learn, like you learn from that and you just like, well, I can't do that can't make that mistake again mm-hmm. right today i today i was i was today years old when i learned the stupid uh 
one one vigilance lifelink guy that you can tap to make an angel if you have 27 oh, yeah. life you yeah. can only make the angel at sorcery speed right yeah you can't do that on your opponent's turn oh yeah i passed my opponent's turn i was like why can't i active oh well oh, all right cool. yeah. all right yep. so i don't know this at sorcery speed cool cool yep. right so learn from your mistakes so you don't make them again but mm-hmm. like don't get down on yourself because you made a mistake because it it always happens happens all the time that's also i I know i talk about this a lot but that's why i like pre-release so much also is like because it's a more like casual event and there's not as much pressure on like playing optimally and grinding win percentage blah 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 it's a great time to make your mistakes learn how all the cards work learn all the interactions while the stakes aren't as high and also, everybody is learning and making the mistakes at the same time, so you can learn from other people's mistakes too. Yeah. Um. So this next thing, as part of the mental game, is more strategic, and that's like having a game plan and sticking to it. Yeah, we're gonna kind of dive into this a little bit deeper later on, um, later on in this series. But it it definitely goes in with the mental magic portion, also. Yeah. So. You have what your deck is designed to do, right? Like, when you sit down, you're like, I'm playing an aggressive deck. Or, like, I'm playing a controlling deck. Or I'm playing a mid-range deck. And then you have what your deck decided to let you do that game. Mm Mm-hmm. Or what your opponent told you you're doing that game. Yeah. Based on, like, either what you drew or what you need to do to, like, interact with your opponent. Or, like, what your opponent is dictating, right? Yeah. So, like, once you've made a decision, like, hey... I need to be the control deck in this matchup or I'm the aggressive deck in this matchup, right? It was the controller beatdown, right? Is the classic yep. article, right? You can't flip back and forth. You right. kind of have to see that through. Like you, in the first couple turns, right? Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm the aggressive player. And then... Then you're like, oh, wait, nope, nope, no, I'm not. Okay, now I'm the control player, and you settle into that role until, like, you've got control of the board, then you can start attacking again. Right. Right? Or you, like, sit down, and you're like, well, I'm playing the control deck, but you, like, you know, uh, a simpler time when control decks had creatures, when you're like, oh, I I guess I, like, played a counterspell, and then I played a four-drop and a five-drop. I guess I'm the beatdown now, because I have the big things. Right. Okay, cool. Your I'll opponent play. flooded out or something, and you need to, you know, apply pressure before they can, yeah, yeah reestablish like, themselves. Or I played Wingmate Rock and Siege Rhino. I guess I'm the beatdown. Cool. Yep. Right, but you can't be like, okay, I think I'm the control deck. Oh wait, no, no, beatdown attack, and like, oh, that was a mistake. All right, I'm back to the control deck. Oh no, I guess we're beatdown again. Like you kind of gotta like see it through. To like the mm-hmm. natural point where you would as mainly as the control deck where you would be like, yep, game is under control. It's time for me to to go to winning time. Yeah, and even a lot of times like that doesn't necessarily mean you're changing your role either because like a lot of control decks are built to control the game while applying pressure. True. I mean, there's it depends on like what your finisher is. Like when you're to finishers yeah finishers big to fairy you right. just keep doing what you're doing right yeah. it's a little bit harder 
you know, what is the the land from AFR? The the it becomes a seven seven with like ward. Yeah, frost giant thing. Yeah, right. Like that. Right, you've kind of got to make a commitment that I'm going to tap seven mana. Yeah. So I, it's like I might have to go shields down here. Is that okay? Yeah. Right to start applying pressure. Right. I think the example that we used previously was like uh, mono red, right? Where when you're if you're playing the mirror on the play, you're the aggress you're the aggressor, mm-hmm. right? But on the draw you're more controlling because you have that extra resource. Yeah, you got one more card than your opponent does. I'm just going to control the board, kill all their stuff, and eventually I'm going to be left with one extra thing, and I can use that one extra thing to to win the game. Yeah, if you trade all your cards one for one with your opponents, you're going to have one card left. Yeah, so that's what you decide to do as opposed to, like, you know, shock your face, you're like, shock your creature. Yep. Whereas if you're on the play, you're like, I need to get them dead as quickly as possible. So you're like, attack, you attack, you bolt, you kind of thing. Yep. So, you know, where when you sat down, you were both like, I'm the beat down. And then you were like, oh, wait, I'm on the draw. I'm supposed to be the control player here. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to, you know, back when we played Chain Whirler. Right, you're like, oh man, I can get a two for one. I can get their one drop, and I can get their Viashino, whatever, Pyromancer. Yeah, Pyromancer. I can get their one and their two with my Chain Whirler. Like, I can end of their turn, kill their Chain Whirler, and then kill all their stuff with my Chain Whirler, and now I'm going to win the game. Yeah. Right? And, like, that's how you'd play that game, is you're playing it to try to sweep their board and then have the last thing left over. Mm-hmm. Right. So how the matchup dictates, but you couldn't be like, all right, I'm going to like try to control the board and then decide you're going to attack with everything and not hang back to block. Yeah. Or vice be, versa. I mean, you yeah. can't attack with everything and then also expect to control the board. Yeah. You can't be like attack with everything and now bolt your creature. Right. It's like, well, their creature was tapped. It wasn't helping you get damage in. You could have just bolted their face. Yeah. Right. So like so you you weren't being consistent with what you like what you the role you decided you were. Right. Yeah. So it's being like consistent in the role, like making decisions that match up with the role that you think you have. Mm -hmm. If you think you're the aggressor, right, you're using your your spells to clear the way to get in damage with your creatures. Right. Yeah. If you're the control player, you're using your spells to kill their creatures and you're not just like randomly attack hitting them, right? Your opponent in when they play Jeskai Control, when you're at 20 isn't like lightning helix your face. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not what that game's coming down to. That lightning helix is to kill one of your creatures and give them an extra turn because they yep. gain three life. Like, they're not just like, now you're at 17. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, like, you know when they think they've got it wrapped up and they're like, Gear Hulk, uh, Magma Mocus, all four at your face. Yeah. It's like, oh, they feel like they've turned the corner because now they're hitting me. Yeah. The Gear now Hulk you... back to Magma Opus, they turned the corner. Yeah. But you don't, right? But they're not going to do that when you have three creatures on the board. 
They're right. going to, like, gear back, haul back their magnum opus and kill three creatures if they can. Right. So, yeah. So you make the change when the game kind of dictates that you change, but mm-hmm. you don't, you're not just, like, willy-nilly being like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm the control, but I'm doing these things that are an, aggr- things an aggressive player would do. Like, you lose every game that you, like, only commit halfway to a right. role. Yeah, and that goes for like decisions that you make during the game too. Yeah. Like if you if you're going to decide to like if you put them on a counter spell, don't just like randomly jam, you know, your game winning threat into their counter spell. If you had put them on it, you know, two turns ago and they haven't countered anything, there was a reason that you put them on that counter spell. They probably still have it. And Ooh. don't like change without new information don't like just forget that you had put them on counterspell i mean or like sensor or just gerari disruption like those kind of like four spike effects if you're like well i'm not going to play my two into their two upon mana because i think they have sensor and then you draw your three drop and you just jam your three into their two open mana and you get censored yeah right you're like oh yeah that's right I didn't play my two drop on two because I thought they had sensor. Yeah. Right. So like, don't like make a decision. And like you said, just be like, well, there's no new information here. I'm just going to assume they don't have it now. Yeah. Right. Or like you said, like a counter spell, like, you know, if you can like play your bait spell, we play before you play the spell that you really want to resolve. Yeah. Uh, or, like, play on instant speed and see if they will, like, tap out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see if you can get them to commit. Yeah, you don't want to be, like you said, you don't want to be like, well, I didn't play my Narset into their open mana, but now I'm going to jam five mana to fairy into their open mana. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. Probably not going to work out well for yeah. you. Yeah, they hadn't cast Counterspell before that. And mm-hmm. sometimes when you put them on a Counterspell, you just have to be like, well, I'm going to cast into this I'm going to cast a spell I'd care about less into this, what I think is a counter spell to yeah. see if they counter that to hopefully clear the way for the other thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if you're like, if you're playing around a combat trick, you know, if they attack their two, two into your two, two and you're like, well, I'm not going to block because I think you have a combat trick. And then the next turn they attack their two, two into your three, three and you're like block. <laughs> and then they yeah, play their combat you're willing trick. to trade your 2-2 but you're willing to trade your 3-3 three, three. yeah and no it doesn't make any sense so like stay consistent yeah right because there's a lot of times that people will attack and I'll just I'll block and I'll just be like show me like I assume you have it but like I want this out of your hand so I don't have to play around it because right. I you know I have another thing that I can block your, your creature with next turn I'd rather lose my 2 drop than my 3 drop or whatever exactly or you know hey I want you to play this this pump spell on my two drop so it eats your turn and then I can play my three drop and it be the biggest thing. Right. So. All right. Um, so yeah, so don't just, just again, like it's about being consistent mm-hmm. and like making a decision and sticking to it until there is information that makes you change your mind. Yeah. So speaking yeah. about information. Yes. Play your turn to get the most information possible. Yes. 
every decision that you make in the game, you want to make with the most information. And you want to force your opponents to make decisions with the least amount of information. Yeah. So if you're if you have a cantrip in your hand and you know it's turn two or three and you're gonna cast your opt or whatever, you should do that before playing your land for turn, just in case whatever land you're gonna play is gonna be more like mana efficient than whatever's in your hand. Like if you draw a temple and you don't have anything else to do this turn, you don't want to play an untapped island and then have a temple rotting in your hand. Or, right, you have two ops and a shock, right? And an, and, or you have an opt in, uh, an opt an island and a shock. Mm-hmm. And you, like, play the island first and then you draw a mountain. And you're like, oh, I could have played the mountain and then played my shock. Yeah. But I played the island, so now I don't get to use this shock this turn. Right. Um... So, like, things, you know, I think the biggest example of this now is Expressive Iteration. Yes. Right? That's a like, huge one. Right? Like, don't play your lane before you play your express, Expressive Iteration, because that card's good when you exile a land and get to play it. Yeah. Right? And, you know, like, that's a card that, like, you don't typically play on turn two, though I've seen people do it, right? Like They shouldn't do that. That's, that's desperation mode, right? Yeah. Like, two mana draw two mana anticipate is not good enough. No, the people that play expressive iteration on turn two are the same people that jam random brainstorms when there's no reason to. Yeah. Just, just the random brainstorm. Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah those are, that is a, that Venn diagram is a circle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. So like kind of go through all the stuff you need to do. So when you draw your card, if you have a planeswalker that draws a card, you mm-hmm. should use that planeswalker. So now you see, all the cards you have access to because you don't want to play your four drop and then take up your planeswalker and be like, oh, I could have played a five drop because I just drew it. Yeah. But I didn't wait to see if I was going to draw that. So now I'm wasting mana. Right. right? Um, if you can, it, again, if you have ways to draw cards to get more information, uh, do that. Um, mm-hmm. You should typically like play your lands this is a little hard to like you should play your lands either before combat if you think you might need the mana or like if you have a combat I... trick or an activated ability or something. Exactly. Yeah. Something yeah. like, you know, let's say you have, I'm trying to think of a, you know, say you had like the the again the the night pack guy or whatever, the the green green 3/3 three, three, that has an activated mm-hmm. ability for 5. Right? Yeah. You can play your land, you can play your fifth land pre-combat, so now you can threaten activating that. Yeah. Right. Where if you didn't play the land, you didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, like threat of activation is huge. Yeah. And then there are other times where you're like, I don't want to play my land pre-combat because I don't want them to know I can play a five drop this turn. Right. Right. Like, oh, I don't want them to know that I can play, you know, uh, whatever, whatever five drop. So you're hiding the information. So they block differently. Yeah. You're making your opponents make decisions with less information. You know, yeah. you didn't cast your five drop pre-combat. You didn't play your land pre-combat. You're making your opponent work through combat without the information of what you're going to do with the rest of your turn. Yeah, so we have some, an older, like, going in line with playing your lands, playing the right land. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, I'm going to play my, 
I'm gonna. I don't want to go forest pelt collector when I could go shock a stomping grounds pelt collector because I have a chain weller in my deck and I want to have access to red red red. Yeah. The number of times playing with like Anthony, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play this land on the off chance I draw exactly this one card because it lets me play that card. Yeah. Right. Like, um, again, stupid gates deck. Right. If I have, if you have a Simic Guild Gate and a Selesnya Guild Gate. And you have Gross Spiral in your deck. You're like, well, I'd rather go Simic Guildgate. Because if I draw exactly Plaza of Harmony, I can play the Plaza and then get the cast Growth Spiral on turn two. Right. Right. But if I play uh, Selesnya Guildgate, I can't do that anymore. So like mm-hmm. playing the right land opens you up to having a better turn two. Than if you were just like, ah, whatever, play the land. And then you draw the Plaza Harmony, you're like, oh, I guess I can't cast my Growth Spiral now. Oh, yeah. that sucks. I guess I don't get to use my mana this turn. Mm-hmm. Right. So making those, like, make playing the right lands and just, like, thinking about what you, what you have access to in your deck. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have here play post-combat. So Arena makes all of us lazy. But the best way to do things is to play your, to attack, see how, what blocks are made, if any, uh, what removal spells might get played. Or and pump then, spells. Yeah. And then play your creature post-combat, right? Because mm-hmm. one, if you tap out before combat, they know the coast is clear to double block. They know you don't have a pump spell. Right. Right. You can't threaten to activate anything. Right, like you would feel way better if your opponent went like, you know, played your red green opponent played their Elder Gargaroth pre combat, and you're like, oh, I can block and I don't have to worry about getting Ember cleaved here. <laughs> well, that's one hundred percent. Yeah. Right, as opposed to when they attack with two things, and you're like, oh, am I gonna get Ember cleaved? And you're like, oh. Like you like if they're tapped out, you didn't even think about that. Like that's not a thing that can happen, right? Right. So by playing pre-com, by playing yourself pre-combat, you limit your options and you give your opponent more information. They know they can block and not have to worry about you stomping something or uh, an ember cleave or whatever, whatever thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then if they like use the removal spell, now you can play your big threat post-combat. And that removal spell has already been out, is already out of their hand. Yeah, you know the coast is clear. Yeah, where if you played your Elder Gargaroth pre-combat, right now they're like, oh, I'm going to save this. I'm going to trade this creature for that one because I need this removal spell to kill the Gargaroth yep. before it attacks. Right, so yeah. you basically tell them how to use the removal spell. Like, you both have a, a Bone Crusher Giant, and they're like, well, I was just going to kill this thing with, uh, you know whatever they're playing black red i don't know with you know heartless act but mm-hmm. they play the outer gargaroth i guess i'll trade for their bone crusher giant and then heartless act the the greater gargaroth where yeah. if they just kill your bone crusher giant now you play the elder gargaroth and it like eliminates their bone crusher giant because it can't ever attack yeah right it can't ever block so you just come on ahead so just waiting post combat so again they are making decisions with as little information as possible. And mm-hmm. you are getting more information as you wait. Yeah, there's also like another level to this also. And that's 
like consistency. Like if you can consistently only play a land before combat, like if you have a pump spell or only wait until after combat to play your land when you don't have a pump spell, you can use that to your advantage by like bluffing your opponent also. Like yeah. if you if you really need them to block a certain way, you can play your land pre-combat and go to attacks so that like they think you have a pump spell. Right. So like if you went, you know, going to our Ember Cleave example, right? If you played your third land pre-combat and attacked with three creatures, right? Your opponent automatically thinks I'm gonna get Ember Cleaved here. Right. Right. Even if you don't have the Ember Cleave, they're mm-hmm. blocking in a way that Or not they blocking think, in a way. Or not blocking in a way where they think you might have Ember Cleave. Right. Because yep. you represented by playing your land, I have something that I need to do with this mana. I'm red green. It must be Ember Cleave. Yep. Where if you don't play the land, they don't that's not on their radar. Right. Right. But maybe you need them to block a certain way so you can stomp something and kill it. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, they're more likely to block this way if I only have two mana up than if I have three mana. Yeah. Right. So like you said, like if you always play your land post-combat and then on a turn you play your land pre-combat, you're saying something. Right. You're, right? you're sending a signal. Yes. Your opponent doesn't know if you're lying or not. You're like, I have well, Ember. to figure out. Yeah, but you're like, I have Ember. You're telling them by playing your land, I have Ember Cleave. Right? Mm-hmm. So they have to respect that you have Embercleave, even if you don't. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't know if you're telling them the truth, but they have to infer. Like, you might right. not have anything, but you're sending them a signal like, yeah, I have it. How are you going to block? Yeah. Right? So, like, you know, it's game three, and you've always played the same way. And, you know, but then in game, you know, in game two, you played your land on three, attacked, and you had the Embercleave. Mm-hmm. Now in game... Uh, game three, you do the same thing in attack. They just assume you have it. Yeah. So, right. Like remembering how you played earlier in a match in a similar situation will signal your opponent certain things as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So Absolutely. it's all like, you know, giving like everything you do gives information and you're trying to hide the information that you give and give bad information. Right. You're trying to like, Hey, you think I have this, but I don't. Or I played in such a way that you don't think I have this spell, but I do. Yep. Right? You know, maybe your opponent held up, like, uh, one in the blue for two turns. And then they didn't hold up one in the blue for a turn. And then you're like, oh, they must not have... The foretold spell must not be a counter spell. It must be an Elrond's Epiphany. Yeah. And you're like, okay, play my spell. And they counter it. And you're like, oh, like you tricked me because I thought you had, you were like, I have counterspell, I have counterspell. Eh, no, I don't. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then kind of like being on your read, you're like, oh, I thought they had that. Maybe I'm wrong. Right? That you put, you read, saw it coming. Right. And then they did something that made you think, ah, maybe not. And like they could have done that on purpose to be like, well, they're not going to cast anything into this that matters. So right. I'm gonna give the I I can sweep the board if they cast a creature I don't like, so it's not a big deal. But I can send them a signal like, oh hey, I don't have a counter spell, so the next big thing right. you play, 
after I untap is going to be fine. Yeah, you're voluntarily then, putting your shields down. Yeah. So just like little things like that mm-hmm. that you don't think about, but you are sending signals. Yeah, and like when you're playing on Arena, you don't get like the social signals that you would when you're playing Paper Magic. So bluffing can be harder. So like things like that are probably the easiest way to bluff on Arena. Like because you're not like able to read your opponent face to face. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely played games where I'm like, I cast a spell and I'm like, oh, they didn't get priority. Oh, the coast is clear. Oh, yeah. Right. But then your opponent actually just passed through their turn. Yeah. And then they get you on your turn. Yeah. And you're like, ah. (laughs) Right. But like, you know, same kind of thing. You're just trying to pick up information. So then there's, you're always giving and taking information, but then there's like Mm -hmm. leaking information where, you're giving up information, but you're not getting any value for yourself. Yeah, and like these are these are like admittedly very small percentages, and these probably don't exist digitally at all. So this is only like for paper magic. Yeah. Um, but these are things you should think about kind of extra game. Um, like when you're constructing your deck. I know it's hard lately because Wizards likes to have all of the bling and a hundred different printings of every card, but try and make all the printings of your cards match. That way, if your opponent's looking at your hand and they see a Mystical Archive um, agonizing remorse, but that's the only one in your deck, and then you draw like another agonizing remorse and you cast that one instead your opponent knows that you drew like a regular printing of agonizing remorse instead of the mystical archive printing you've just given your opponent information that you didn't have to yeah they know that the last card in your hand is a mystical archive agonizing remorse right right so if all of your printings match it doesn't matter if you turn your brain off and just cast the agonizing remorse one of the two that you have you're always casting the same one yeah right so, like, you can track that stuff and be like, oh, these are the cards that they've seen, but it's just, like, extra work where you can just be like, hey, you know, I've got to make sure everything matches. Yeah. Right? So, Foiling is the same thing. Either try and have all foils or no foils. If you have, we'll stick with agonizing remorse. If you have two foil agonizing remorses and two non-foil agonizing remorses, the exact same thing can happen. They'll look at your hand, they'll see a foil one, you draw a non-foil one, you cast the non-foil one, they know you still have a foil one. Yeah. Basics are the same way. Yeah, basic land art. Make your basic lands match. I know there are people that are like, oh, I want to be trolly and like have all my basic lands not match. Like that has like zero impact on how people play. Like no one, no one's like, oh, I'm not concentrating because you have an eighth edition mountain that's white bordered, and then you have uh, a Kaladesh mountain. Uh, like yeah. that doesn't, like that doesn't happen. You're not getting percentage points uh, from yeah. like tilting You're not your, opponent. Tilt your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, accessories. Uh, the the James example of this always is like you're the mono red player with the boom sleeves and the boom deck box and the like uh Chandra uh, play mat. My Chandra play mat 
and yeah. all this stuff and your opponent sits down and they're like, oh. You're wearing a hat that says, I heart lightning bolt. Yeah, and then and they're like, well, I probably shouldn't keep this hand that doesn't do anything until turn three. Right. I should but send this back. Fetch shock, fetch shock. Yeah, I should, I should wait and try to find a hand that can deal with Goblin Guide. Right. <laughs> right. And so, oh, sorry, Raghavan. Raghavan, yes. Goblin, Goblin Guide, so quaint. Um, but yeah, you don't, you don't want to give up that like stuff, right? Like if yeah. I showed up at a legacy legacy tournament with just like a custom made uh, playmat that was just Marat Lodge, yeah, people would be like, <laughs> "Hmm, I wonder what I he's doing. Wonder what's going on here." Yeah, right. So or if you've got your your 2020 token like in a hard case around your neck that you take off and use as your token. Oh, okay, totally random. I saw a video of I think it was Hunter Pence. Yeah. At like a meet and greet when he was like on the Giants and he just had a black lotus in a hard case around his neck like a necklace. Huh. Just random. I don't know where I saw this video, but I was just like, huh? Weird. Yeah, I'm like, this is lost on most people, but okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, again, that has a very, it has a very small thing. Because like, your mm -hmm. opponent's going to figure out you're on burn, you know, when you go Mountain Goblin Guide. Right. Right. Within, like, basically any deck, your opponent... Like if they're reasonably familiar with a format, is going to put you on a deck within the first couple turns. Yeah. So, right, it's not a big deal, but you know you might give up five percentage points in the first game. Yeah. Because of this. Now, if you know that you're giving up those five percentage points, but being true to yourself is the boom everything, <laughs> and the I heart lightning bolt, and like. You know, your shirt that says Captain of the Patrick Sullivan fan club. <laughs> right. We are at Basic Mountain. I love you at Basic Mountain. Yeah. Right. If if that's what makes you happy and you're like, I don't care if we get up five percentage points, peace selling needs to know what's up. Yeah. Live your life. But know know that you are giving things up. Yeah. Right. Right. You've got your nope shirt on. It's just like <laughs> I wonder I wonder what I'm sitting down for. All right, cool. Um, Are you just not going to tap that two blue mana for the entire game? Yeah, yeah, you're tapping <laughs> that two blue mana. Yeah, at every possible instant. All right, so yeah. there's also telegraphing, and again, this is this happens in arena as well, right? Mm -hmm. Where you draw a card that deals with your graveyard, or your. Yeah. You, we've all seen our opponent like draw a card that interacts with their graveyard and then you see their hover. graveyard start to light up. Yeah. Right. Or they draw a removal spell and one of your creatures lights up and then they yep. like, don't cast it. And you're like, Hmm. Hmm. I really hope I like, I need to keep up mana for my, you know, uh, Matra's blessing or whatever. Cause I don't want them to kill this thing. Right. So yep. you, like where you're giving them information because you're like, you know, we have your, you draw a snapcaster and then you like look at your graveyard 
and try to see, or you like spread your graveyard out. Yeah. Like your graveyard has been in a stack and then you spread it out so you can see what's in there. And I was like, oh, I bet you they got something that interacts with their graveyard. Yep. So things like that where, where like it's being really obvious, like what you've just drawn. Yeah. You're giving away information that you don't have to. Although like, I mean, the Snapcaster one's interesting because that's kind of necessary. Like if a game has gone on for, you know, five or six turns, most people don't have like the brain space to like commit to memory all of the cards in their graveyard. So you're going to look down to see what's in there. Yeah. But there is also like the, I'm playing a Snapcaster deck. So I'm going to um, play with my graveyard spread out. Yeah. So that I know that I can. So I, I'm, I don't immediately have to spread it out once I draw the Snapcaster. Right. Or you can kind of make a point to draw your card and look at your graveyard every turn. Yeah. It's kind of like when you play with miracles. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you just are like, I'm going to treat every card I draw like it might be a miracle. Right. Right. So you don't want to be like, oh, it's Terminus. Am I going to cast this Terminus or am I going to brainstorm it back to the top? And like you like go in the tank as you draw your card. Yeah. Right. Like I played against someone who was uh, there on Grixis Delver. This was years ago. This was up at, uh, oh gosh, what's the, what's the store that we go to up in Columbia? Uh, ready to play. Ready to play. It was one of the owners mm-hmm. and he like, uh, Flipped it, like, took his card, looked at it, stared. It was a Delver trigger. Stared and stared and stared and then didn't reveal it. Yeah. Uh, And then on my turn, I, like, tapped the swamp and I was like, I'll take your Diabolic Edict. (laughs) Knew what it was. Yeah. Like, I was like, that's all. That's the, uh," and he was like, oh, I was like, that's the only card you would have thought that hard about. Right. Not, to not show it to me. Right. Was was that so like you know like it's like oh hey like you gotta think like if i'm gonna draw if my top card's diabolic edict i'm just going to draw it Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna think about it yeah don't give away the information yeah just like you know if you play encounter spells right you can decide like what range of spells you're willing to counter Mm -hmm. so every time your opponent like makes a play you don't have to like sit there and think and think and think yep. about like, so I guess there's, there's two ways you can do this, right? You can be the, know what you want to counter, know what your counter spell is for, especially like if you bring in counter spells, like post board, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know what you're negate, what you brought your negate in for. Right. You're probably not going to negate an opt. Yeah. Right. So there's the, like, know what you're going to counter school. And then there's, just act like you always have a counter spell. Even when you don't. Even when you don't, the like it resolves. Yeah. For that's normally everything. what I do. Yeah. For everything is just like, oh yeah, we're good. Yeah, and not that I play blue decks super often, but yeah. But when I do, that's what I do. Yeah. But just like be again, being consistent mm-hmm. and you know that way your opponent's not like, oh, they uh, he he thought about this one. He must have a counterspell now where he didn't have a counterspell before. Right. And now again, right, you can also game them. 
right? And be like, oh, think real hard when you don't have one, mm-hmm. right? To make them think that their next spell is going to get countered or whatever. But for the most part, you want to like be consistent. Yeah. I love bluffing. Yes. Which is the next section, which is convenient. 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 Right. Uh, so for bluffing, make sure you always tap your lands correctly so you can like act like you have up the removal spell or act like you have up uh, a counter spell or whatever. Yeah, it's awful hard to bluff a spell when you can't actually afford to pay for the spell. Like if yeah. you don't have any black mana up, you're probably not representing a heartless act. Yeah. I mean, I will if I have a if I have a oh gosh, a mountain in a swamp, right? Mm-hmm. I will play the mountain so my opponent thinks I might have uh, frostbite. Yeah. Right. Or I guess like a mountain in a forest is a better example where they're like, oh, do I play my dork? Because they can just like shock it. Yeah. Because they play the mountain. And why would they play mountain and nothing? Right. Right. They must have a shock. Mm-hmm. Right. And so maybe they don't play their two drop because they're worried or they play a different two drop. Yeah. Because they're trying to protect the one that you have, uh, the one that they really, that they, that would be better and would be better if you didn't have a shock. So they're like, oh, I'll I'll play the worst one. Yeah, you're making them play slightly suboptimally at no real cost to yourself. So uh, Arena always screws you. It's gotten better from when we first did this. But like, yeah, it still gets you sometimes, though. If you really care about your mana, and like what's left untapped, tap yeah. the mana yourself. Yeah, tap it before you cast your spell. Yeah. Um like especially like I've been playing oh gosh, the red black one two red legend that gets like something is a plus one plus one counter if you play mana if with a treasure. Treasure. Right? Yeah. And you know, it defaults to you want to pay with this with treasure. Yeah. And so, like, I just tap my mana beforehand and then just click on the mana so, like, I don't mess up mm-hmm. and, like, spend the treasures on something I didn't want to spend the treasures on. Right. So, there's a Crokey's video from the last, uh, oh, gosh, Arena Open. Yeah. Where he's playing and he's talking about, like, the their outs and uh, it's like, well, da 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 like, Our only hope here is that they don't uh pay enough mana for the uh the little hydra land mm-hmm. and they auto tapped it and arena tapped the land for them tapped the creature land and left another land untapped <laughs> and he was like get arena boy and that was like how he won that match was his opponent uh a re- auto tapper tapped the creature land <laughs> Good job, Arena. He was like, "Oh, I, I lost, I lost my." Uh, he's like, "Oh, well, they tapped it for the right amount of mana. We're gonna." Oh, nope, nope, they got Arena. <laughs> right, classic al- Arena. Yeah, you can arrange your land so it looks like you're holding up mana. Yeah, take two islands and just set them aside. Yeah, and like, yep, this is here. This is gonna happen. Yep. Uh. So yeah, we also have the uh, the Nick Holgado special, which I just did today. Did you? Yeah, where you just hold, uh, hold lands into your hand. 
to make him think yeah. he got it. I mean, realistically, like you're playing a game of limited or whatever, and you really don't need your eighth land. Mm-hmm. You're like you don't have a mana sink or whatever. You don't have any eight drops. There's really no reason for you to have eight lands in play. Keep it in your hand. Make your opponent guess what that land is. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of stuff now that's like rummage, discard a card, draw a card, right? Yeah, oh yeah, that's a biggie. And you want to make sure that you have the fuel for that. Right. You know, or, you know, draw two, discard two. You want to hopefully discard, draw two spells, discard two lands. And if you've already yep. played those lands, it doesn't even get like cathartic reunion. You're like, yeah. oh, I don't have two lands. I, I don't want to get rid of a spell on a land. I'd rather get rid right. of two lands. I guess I shouldn't have played my ninth land or whatever. So yeah. just holding on to them. One, it hides information. It makes your parents think you've got something that you might not. And two, like, there's always something in Magic now that's like, oh, you know, you know oh, I got my season Pyromancer. I can discard t- these two lands and then draw two cards or yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah, that effect's getting pretty common to yes. be like stapled onto stuff that's playable anyway. So, Bedlam Reveler, yeah, or, or yeah. Well, Ox makes you discard then draw. That's true. Yeah, I guess Bedlam Reveler does also, but yeah. So you want your hand to be empty, but there are definitely yeah. things that you're like, I need to have something in hand to turn this into something else. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you can also like lead your opponent, like you can. Try to get them to do something that you want them to do. Yeah, this one kind of, like, it can border on kind of scummy. Hey, now. So, your mileage may vary. Legitimate play pattern. So, um, the example that we have here is something that I did in the team event. So Well, Pith- I mean, these, these are both, like, the the other example we talked about last week. Oh, yes. yes the, so, we'll talk yeah. about both of them. And they are both kind of, like, borderline... It depends on what kind of player you are, I'll say. Yeah. So there's a Pithing Needle, mm-hmm. uh, which stops non-mana abilities. Right. So you can't... You can name any card in Magic, right. but Pithing Needle will not stop it from doing mana abilities. So right. if you name Death Rite Shaman, right, it'll stop the exiling from the graveyard... Uh, to um to like deal damage, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stop it from making mana. Right. Wait, no, no, oops. no. Did that wrong? They, yeah, it stops all of them because they have a the target is the, you know, the tar- they do the target, but yeah. like so at, like birds of paradise. You can't say birds of paradise, and you can say birds of paradise, but it still makes mana. So right. the example that one of the examples have is food chain. So we were in the team tournament, and uh. I played, I was going to lose to, oh gosh, food, going to lose to food chain, right? Food where they chain. go infinite with, uh, whatever that card is from the original Miss Hologriffin. Hologriffin. There we go. Someone remembers. And yep. so I named, I pithing needled food chain and the judge came over cause I had put a, a, a card from Vidalian click in my graveyard instead of on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then my opponent was like, can you explain to him that Pithy Needle on Food Chain doesn't work? And I was just like, yeah, I know. I just wanted to see if you did. <laughs> and he got like super mad at me. Yeah. To the, Like, I can't believe you wouldn't think I would know. And like his opponent was, his teammate was like, that's fine. Like, yeah. right. 
So it's a legal thing to do. Yeah. But you know, so that was more of a like, hey, I'm gonna hope that you don't you know the don't, rules. Yeah, don't know that what I did doesn't do anything. Right. I, I did the same thing again. Maybe I'm just a bad a bad person. I was playing Dredge against Eight Lack. Yeah. And I had a um, bloodcast out, mm-hmm. and my opponent kept attacking as if my bloodcast could block. <laughs> so at one point, I like was making my blocks. I never like pushed the bloodcast up like it was blocking, but I kind of right. like moved it aside moved to kind of be like, like okay, like I don't want to block with this. I'm going to set it over here. I'll block with. I'll save it for later, kind of deal. Yeah, but. I won that game. It was the first game. It was the first match of like an SCG Modern Open. And mm-hmm. I won that game because I realized my opponent thought Bloodgas could block. And you never told them otherwise. And I never told them otherwise. And I acted like I was choosing not to block with my Bloodgas. Right. As opposed, like, so I never like made it a blocker. Right. And then was like, oh, wait, let me move it and do something else. It was more like I would, like, think about it, but then, like, move it aside. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, that led my opponent to believe that he was like, I think blood gas can block. He thinks blood gas can block. I'm not going to attack because blood gas blocking is bad for me. Right. And so I didn't do anything wrong. I just kind of, like, leaned into what I saw my opponent doing. Yeah. Like, oh, you have a you have a wrong you do not know how this card works. I'm going to let you think that that's how that card works cuz it's good for me. Yeah, and like what what you did isn't like you didn't break any rules either. You didn't misrepresent misrepresent a board state and you didn't like make an illegal game action or anything. You yeah. just kind of let your opponent believe the wrong thing. Yes. No. That gets a little like you can't misrepresent misrepresent the board state, and you can't make a card do something it doesn't do if your yeah. opponent doesn't know what it does. Yeah, but just let them like play around something that your card doesn't do is yeah completely so, legal. So let's say you know how some people when they block they'll like line up their blocks and then they'll think mm-hmm. about it and then they'll move stuff around and they're like, okay, these are my blocks. I never once, like, moved a Bloodgast to be a tentative blocker for something. Right. And then was like, oh, mm, let me change this. I never did anything like that. But I was acting like I was, like, setting it aside to, like, protect it. Because I didn't want to lose it. (laughs) Because it's not going to come right back with a land drop or anything. Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't do anything wrong or, like, anything that he, like, even could have, like... At no yeah. point would a judge have walked over and thought I was trying to block with a blood gas. Right. But, you know, he he didn't realize that. And the yeah. other one we've talked about before, the the chalice check, the... Yeah, we talked about, I think it was last week, right? We yeah. We talked about the chalice check. And we kind of explained why that might be a little... Um, what's the word for it? Angle shooty. Yeah, angle shooty. That's the word I was looking for. Um, But one of the ways that kind of pushes that boundary is by, like, I think we talked about, like, casting spells quickly. 
Yes. Last week. One of the things that we didn't talk about is casting with authority. And that's kind of what Cameron's known for is uh, casting spells into a chalice with authority. And like, if he himself believes the spell is going to resolve, then his opponent is less likely to remember the trigger. So whenever he casts this, you know, a spell that's going to get countered by chalice, he casts it with authority. Yeah. So it's not like glistener elf. It's glistener elf. Glistener elf. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, instead of putting a question like, is this going to resolve? It's right. just like, this is resolving now. And you're probably, like, oh, yeah, the glistener. Yeah, I okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Right. So. You got it. Yeah. So, like, like, your tone of voice kind of being like, yeah, this is good. And they're like, oh, yeah, it is good. And then they're oh, like, no. oh, no, it's it's not it's not good anymore. It, it shouldn't have been good. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Would you so, like to put the trigger on the stack now? It <laughs> But your spell's not on the stack. Exactly. Exactly. Spell is already here. So, yeah, you can, you know, do things where, like, you, you, like, take advantage of your, like, opponent maybe not paying attention. Mm -hmm. You know, again, not, like, throwing, not, like, what is it, cheaty McCheaty face, not just sliding that guy on the the, uh, (laughs) table. But, yeah, but just, like, you know, you know, that or, hey, you don't know how this works. I don't have to tell you how it works. I'm not doing anything illegal with it. I mean, let's say there was a pinger that was like tapped to do one damage to any creature. You could only play this as a sorcery. Mm-hmm. Right. And you attack your, you know, three, three into their two, four. And they don't real uh, uh, or they attack their two, four into your three, three, or they won't attack their two, four into your three, three. Because they don't want to lose their 2-4. Right, there you go. And they don't realize that you can't tap the pinger on their turn. Right, so you're getting an advantage because they're not even bothering to attack with their 2-4. Right. Right? Or you have a 3-2. Right, that would be a good attack for them. Mm -hmm. You're just going to get a 2 free damage, but they don't understand how your your deal 1 damage uh, creature works. Right. So they don't bother to attack in. It's not your job to tell them. Yeah, right. Now, so those kind of things are are fine where you're just like, but I'm not saying you like tap it and go, oh, no, I'm not going to ping that creature. Like, no, you just don't like they just don't know. And you're not like, "Uh, actually, yeah, like now, like F&M, like after the game, you're like, hey, just so you know, I can only do that on like uh, on my turn. Yeah, right. So the next game you play, you won't do that, that thing. But, you know. Yep. And then the last thing is ticks or from the poker world tells. Sure. Right. Yeah. And this is like just general mannerisms. Like if your opponent, you know, draws a card and then has a look of distraught on his face. Yeah. Like, you know, that probably wasn't a great top deck. Yeah. Or, you know, if they always draw their card and do the same thing. And then they get like, you know, either visibly happy or visibly upset when they draw right. their card. You're like, Oh, okay. This was good. This is good for me. Or this is bad for me. Yep. Right. So just kind of like reading that kind of stuff. Or if whenever they like attack, if they do, like if they have a combat trick, if they like attack differently, mm-hmm. right. If they wait a long time before they attack or they attack really fast, 
Yep. Right. It's, you know, in poker where they like, like the, like base level bluff is like you act weak when you're strong and act strong when you're weak. Mm -hmm. Right. Magic players do that same, like a base level bluff. Yeah. Of like, Oh, I don't know if I should attack or not. And then they like attack and they like, have like three combat tricks and just annihilate you. <laughs> Blow you out of the water. Right. And like when they're like weak, they like just attack really fast. Like don't have to think about this. Clearly I have everything. Right. Math for blockers. Yeah. And, and then, then they have nothing and they were just hoping you didn't like block. Right. right. So, you know, just, just like picking up on those things that your opponent does, you know, do they like when they have a counter spell, do they like do something different yeah do they like you know are they are they someone that shuffles their cards in their hand all the time but every time they went to counter your every time before every time they had a counter spell they didn't do that right they wanted to look at it to remind them or whatever yeah yeah and like you know you noticing and and by the time game three comes around you're like huh okay maybe i shouldn't you know attack uh jam my spell here because they're doing the thing where they might have a counter spell. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, just... and like the same could go when your opponent's drawing their opening hand too. You know, if they slam it down and say snap keep, like you probably know they have a decent hand. Yeah. Or if they got to think about it, you know, maybe they might not have a decent hand. Like, yeah. Just little that... things to pick up on. Yeah. So, you know, go, go watch the movie rounders for a full education on, uh, <laughs> on, on tails and uh, eating, not eating Oreos while playing poker. <laughs> yep. There you go. Uh, there you go, folks. Deep movie cuts too. Yep. So the, like, these are things that are kind of in paper mainly. I mean, for like ticks and like tells, like there's definitely yeah. some arena stuff. Like if you're playing like best of one, and your opponent mulligans to like snap just mulligans down to three. Yeah. I don't know. They're on Tybalt trickery like seventy percent right. of the time. <laughs> it's really the only deck that's gonna mull past five. Yeah. And like not just like snap concede. Yeah. Right. So there there's like there are still little things in arena, but you do lose like the mannerisms, but the, you do still pick up the like how long was it before they like attacked and things like that and trying to read into it. Yeah. But it is harder because like arena games feel faster and well, there's like, faster. yeah, but there's no, and there's no one there. So you don't yeah. have, you're not spending as much time with that opponent, even in like a best of three game or yeah. a match. And you're not spending like, you're not actually spending time with that person. Mm-hmm. So you're missing, like, again, a lot of the mannerism stuff, right? And a lot of the stuff is that does happen in terms of tells and ticks and things lighting up. Usually something's happening when things are lighting up and it's too late for you to take advantage of it. Yeah, I try, like, when I'm playing in, you know, just about anything on the ladder or any kind of, like, reasonably important game, I try to make a point to, like, hover over stuff regularly so that things light up even if I'm not interacting with them. Um, it's something I started doing when Theros came out and I was playing with a lot of like Uro and Kroxa. I would make a habit to like hover over my graveyard every once in a while just to like count cards. 
Yeah. So that when I needed to know how many cards were in my graveyard, I, it wasn't, you know, just out of the blue. Oh, I have four cards in my graveyard. I have six cards in my graveyard, whatever. Yeah. So, okay, real quick thing about Arena, and this is super quick. Okay. When is Midnight Hunt coming out? Because I, I thought spoilers were supposed to have started. Um, so the, I think they start next week. Okay. The, like somebody had said, somebody made a statement that they were supposed to start this week, but I think it was wrong. Yeah. It seems like it. Yeah. Cause like, I, me, I think I got it on the calendar here. The release date is September 24th, but I, I, I had heard like it was supposed to come out on the like eighth on arena and it seems like it's not coming out that early. It seems like it's only coming out a week before. Oh, here it is. Uh, yeah, Magic Online is, and Arena is the 16th. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like three weeks away. Yeah. Weird. Okay, that's all. Like, I thought we would have had spoilers. It's like, it's like, does no one care about spoilers anymore? Are we that far? Are we that far gone? Yeah, next, next week, I think they start. Gotcha. So like right. the thir- 30th, I guess. Yeah. So, all right. With all that stuff, uh, I think we have a show. We have a show. Let's call it. Let's call it. So if you have any good, like, I'm the greatest bluffer of all time, you can tweet at us at Casual Tripod. I love a good bluff. So hit us up. Let us know your stories on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. Or you can email us at show at Casual or you can go to our Discord and share your stories with everybody. Uh, there's a link in the description. There's a link on all our social media. Hop on over and let us know your awesome bluffing stories. Also, if you're looking to support the show, please don't forget about our TCG player affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Or if you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can chip a couple bucks into our Patreon at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. We would really appreciate it. Plus, then you get to listen to our pre-show banter, and you get to get included in my my little givebacks that I do. So hop on over to Patreon. Like I said, I don't even care if it's just a couple bucks. Every little bit helps. Yeah. Yep. So, I think that's it. Yeah, so with that, we'll catch you at FNM. We'll catch you at FNM. <laughs>